0: Hello, everybody. Just a quick disclaimer before this week's episode. As you know, we've been recording our episodes remotely lately due to the COVID-19 pandemic. So please excuse the slight dip in audio quality. I also wanted to give a shout out to all the nurses, doctors, and medical professionals working every day to save lives. Y'all are the real heroes, and we love you. And now, here's the show.
1: From the beautiful city of West Hollywood, we bring you Film Forward, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival.
0: Hey, hey, welcome to Film Forward, everybody, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Diversity Film Festival. I hope everybody's doing well, staying safe, and hanging in there during these seemingly crazier and crazier times, but here we are, and we are really excited for today's show. We are honored to be joined by a return guest, a good friend and producer, Shannon Riggs, and director, Clay Tweel. Their new miniseries, Heaven's Gate, The Cult of Cults, is available to stream now on HBO Max. Shannon and Clay, thank you for joining us today.
2: Hi, Yeah. Thanks for having us.
0: Yeah, thank you for having us. Shannon, before we dive in, I just wanted to point out, you were on our second episode ever. You are our second guest of the show. And somebody just pointed out to me that this is our 50th episode. Whoa. So I wanted to thank you, A, for returning and just being a one of our initial supporters. We're happy to have you back. Very cyclical to have you back on our 50th show.
2: Congratulations on 50 episodes. That's awesome.
0: Thank you. I didn't know that we were that deep. And then one of our subscribers was like, hey, you got big 50 coming up. And I was like, we do? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. But let's dive into Heaven's Gate here. First of all, congrats on the show. Congrats on a really great job. It's a fascinating story that I think both of you tell really beautifully. It's an interesting crime story. But what was more interesting to me was like just the exploration of the mind, how formidable the mind is, what it's capable of, and and what can be done to it. My question is, was that theme or that idea kind of like always present, something that you always knew you were going to be exploring in the series? Or did that kind of reveal itself to you as you guys were doing the interviews and and putting it together in the editing room?
3: I think part of it was revealed. I mean, I think one of the things that Shannon and I, both like to explore is why people do what they do mm-hmm. in all the projects that we take, and so you know the the way in which we can explore that is different in every doc that we work on. But for this, being able to have access to some of the former members and how open and vulnerable and candid they were with their experience and how it's shaped their lives even post Heaven's Gate experience was, I think, our key into exploring that and, and finding out exploring the psychology of what happened, what brought people to the group and why they stayed in and in some instances why they left. Right. And you guys have some
0: really eye-opening and, and powerful interviews, some with former members or family members of of former members. And the interviews could be very, you know, the interview subjects they either have to revisit some dark moments or emotional memories. How do you guys as filmmakers kind of help your subjects get through these moments and and power
3: through to, to relive this? I feel like Shannon, you can jump in here too. I mean, I think we just approach everybody and everything from a point of empathy and trying mm-hmm. to, you know make people as as comfortable as possible. There's lots of little conscious and subconscious things we do to in order to achieve that though.
2: I think this project had a unique point of view too, in that most people involved have told this story many times already. so there was also a real, interest in figuring out how to perhaps get them to talk about it from a new point of view, or maybe talk about things that they hadn't spoken about before. And so it was a real challenge, because often you're dealing with people who are sort of telling their story for the first time, and that wasn't the case here. So getting people to sort of break through their talking points I think is really important and that's just about gaining trust and making people feel comfortable and showing a genuine curiosity and yeah making people feel like you care to hear what they have to say.
3: Yeah, this project in particular these are some of the longest interviews that I've ever done in my career. So mm. it's sort of setting up that expectation from the start of like we're going to sit down and if it takes two hours to go through everything, then great. If it takes five hours, then that's all good too. Like we're here, we set it up so that we had time for like the day. I mean, I don't know if we ever did more than like two interviews in a day, mainly just one. Mm -hmm. So for example, like the Sawyer interview was seven hours long. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, he likes to talk and has a lot of context that he wants to give to every answer. And I allowed him to do that. Where you jump in and Cut people off or let them speak is sort of dependent on on each situation in a doc. And for a lot of these people, I just sort of let them say their piece.
0: In some of these interviews, if you're you know you're talking to some people for you know five to seven hours, as you mentioned, do you ever uncover information or mysteries that you were not aware of in your research? Do they ever drop some bombs that you're like, <laughs> oh my god, we did not know that. We got to change something in our structure or change something in the script that completely changes you know what we're doing.
3: Yeah, I mean, for sure. One of the things that came up was the marriage ceremony. I had not really heard about that in any of the research that I had found. And so when Sawyer brought that up, it became a thing. He was one of the first people we interviewed, so it became a thing that I could ask other people about. And then it became its own little moment in the series.
2: We'd also, let's say one character, we'd be editing material with them and they talk about something. We would search in transcripts from previous interviews we did and cross-check things because yeah there was just a lot of material and <laughs> just a lot of stories and a lot of people telling different perspectives of the same story, right, which was interesting,
0: yeah, speaking of that the marriage anecdote, it reminded <laughs> me of the animation sequence that you guys incorporate with that. I really loved the animated sequences that you sprinkle throughout the series, and I really loved how you kind of like bookended it and finished in the last episode with the animation and and added closure to it. Talk to us just about the conceptualizing of these animated sequences and working with the animators, because I just, I thought they were so
3: beautiful and powerful. Oh, thanks. Yeah, that means a lot because we put a lot of time and energy into it. Shannon and I went (laughs) back and forth on trying to find a style for so long, you know, like, God, we sent each other references for weeks, if not months of like trying to find something that was not going to be cartoonish at all and that was going to fit with the right sort of emotional and tonal vibe. But we were pulling from everywhere. Trying to think of what some of those initial references were.
2: Well, Waltz with Bashir was one that I know we that stood out mm, in the beginning, right? And actually, you're bringing up the marriage ceremony was actually the first sequence that we did. That was sort of our North Star sequence. We nailed that one first, and all the others were sort of meant to match that stylistically. So I like that you brought that one up.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was. As soon as you mentioned it, it was like, like it took me back. That was
3: like the the image that came into my head. So
0: mm-hmm.
3: you guys nailed it. Great. Thanks. The people we worked with, uh, State Design, they were great and really just took some of our ideas and elevated it. And around the time that we started talking to them too, we started to see in the ways in which the Heaven's Gate artwork was going to play into the story and how we were going to use that and be able to set it up early on. So some of that aesthetic was drawn off of their digital art, mm-hmm. which I thought was really cool. And the people at State, Marcel and Chrissy and those folks, I think, just did an an awesome job of taking some of our sketched out ideas, interpreting it, seeing what the state of the edit was, and then like elevating everything. Amazing.
0: That's so cool. Another thing that I found really interesting and compelling was at a certain point, the members of Heaven's Gate seemed to, like in the 90s, they seemed to just begin documenting a lot of their lives or their missions. How did you guys happen to acquire that footage and what was it like <laughs> going through it because i'm i'm sure there was plenty more eye opening stuff and material that that didn't make it into the cut but what was it like sifting through all of that stuff and how did you guys get those tapes
2: well the tapes there, there were audio tapes and there were video tapes. And the series partnered with the podcast that Stitcher did on the Heaven's mm. Gate cult. And we got put in touch with the Tila Foundation, who still operates the Heaven's Gate website. I don't know if you know this, but there's still that website is still up and live on the internet. Wow. And so we got th- those tapes from them, honestly. And you are correct. They are... It's interesting. It's there. It really humanizes them because it turns out those home videos aren't so different than my own home videos. Mm-hmm. And so I think that having those are incredible. Having archive for any story when you're trying to sort of represent and humanize people is so valuable. And I really love the way that they play in the cut. So that that's... The bulk of the 90s footage, that's where that's from. And then I have to give credit to uh, one of our editors, James, the videos where you see where they were in Oklahoma, which I don't know if actually in the show you can tell they're in Oklahoma, but what year is the Oklahoma footage from?
3: It's uh, from both 1975 and early 1976.
2: Yeah, that came up because one of our editors found an article where this man was talking about how he met the group And we contacted his son, who ended up having these videos. And we were well into our edit before we even got those videos. So that was just some luck on our part.
3: (laughs) It was crazy. It was, I think, Shannon, it was that James found a letter from one of the members to their parents and it mentioned someone's name. James Googled that guy's name and then found an article about this guy saying that he had some footage of the group from like the year. 2000. Oh, wow. And then James found his son, this guy's son was like, Oh, yeah, we have some tapes that my dad shot back in the day.
2: So that kind of even speaks to the transcripts. That's the type of like cross referencing in our footage, somebody mentioned somebody, then that's sort of the many layers to how this show was put together I would say. Right.
0: You got to love it, right? <laughs> you got to love <laughs> documentary film. It's like you're 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 going through a journey on your own. Yeah. You're going down rabbit holes yourself as as the filmmakers and you take the viewers along for the ride. Kind of speaking to that, that's one of my favorite things about documentary filmmaking is you're going on the journey, you're taking the audience with you on this journey and it's it's uh, an experience very different from narrative filmmaking. For each of you, what did you take away from this experience? Getting to meet all these people and hear these stories. What do you take away from it? What did you ultimately learn from doing this project? Hmm. Big question. Big That's question. a big one. I'm sorry. Take your time. It's a
3: good one.
2: I mean, I'll say I don't know if this directly answers your question, but I sort of I feel like I went into it really open minded, which I I try to do this in most areas of my life, believing maybe I don't know everything or maybe I don't know anything. And I didn't have a lot of judgment or opinion about the group going into it. I remembered it when it happened and I knew the overarching story, but I didn't really know much about the group until we started really doing research. And I feel like now I understand the group and I know a lot more about them, but I still don't feel like I judge them. It still feels very grave to me, Which I think is interesting that just because I came to understand and learn a lot of the details of the cult and came to meet some of the former members and all of that, I still feel open minded towards them, which is surprising to me to be able to hold on to that openness to believing that maybe I don't know everything, you know, that's sort of the surprising takeaway for me.
3: For me, there's some parallels about you know what's happening in the current state of the world mm-hmm. that sort of emerged over the course of making this project and seeing how some of the human nature and manipulation techniques were sort of playing out in our political and popular culture so that was interesting but really I think I also am quite aligned with Shannon in the sense that there are some questions this that just remain unanswerable mm-hmm. and I always in almost every person that we interviewed for the series, I pose the question of like, to me, there's this sort of where the rubber hits the road of Heaven's Gate is in my personal belief, people can believe whatever they want. But as soon as they get to the point of trying to keep those beliefs onto other people, having those beliefs either harm themselves or others, I think that's when the toe crosses the line. And so clearly in this Heaven's Gate story where everyone kills himself at the end, that crosses the line to me mm-hmm. but like how they got to that line how you can assess like is there a moment in time where they could have turned back is there a way to prevent it these are questions that i just never got a concrete answer on from some of the people that have studied the group for decades it left a little bit more of a like religious thought experiment than concrete answers than i than i thought it would mm-hmm. yeah and i'll be completely honest i knew about the heaven's gate
0: story prior to watching the series obviously and i did go into it with a tinge of judgment and by the end of the series that judgment was gone and i think one of your interview subjects kind of says it like at the end she says you know if there's two things to take away from this or to learn it's one don't be judgmental and two right. be careful because it happens to well educated well meaning good people but as you mentioned there's a lot of comparisons that could be made to uh, what's happening today, to Scientology, to a whole, I mean, go down the list. It had a powerful impact on me by the end because I was able to remove the judgment and see the people and it made the story that much more tragic.
3: Well, thanks. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, I think there's Yanya Lalek's bite there at the end is sort of the siren call for maintaining critical thinking. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite quotes is common sense is not so common. Right. I think that She's sort of reminding us of that there at the end as well. Absolutely. Well,
0: I could unpack this series for another three days, but unfortunately, <laughs> we must take a break. But I just want to say, really, just an excellent job, guys. Your work continues to impress, and I look forward to what is coming next.
3: Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having us again. Yeah,
0: thanks, sir. Heaven's Gate, The Cult of Cults. It's available right now to stream on HBO Max. It is not to be missed. We're gonna take a quick break when we come back. Shannon and Clay are gonna help us out with our favorite segment, Gimme Three. We'd like to take a minute and give a very special thanks to our new sponsor, e-Minutes. E-Minutes is a company of entertainment lawyers who are dedicated to giving a platform to underrepresented voices by helping filmmakers form companies and other necessary legal entities. They're sponsoring a new award with LADFF called the Emerging Filmmaker Award and giving their services for free to the lucky winners. You can find out more about them by going to LADFF.com and clicking on the E-Minutes link.
1: Hello and welcome to Sonia's Movie Minute. I'm Sonia and I'm going to talk about a movie for a minute. The movie is American Utopia and it's a concert film of David Byrne's Broadway show concert of the same name, American Utopia. It's directed by Spike Lee and I think that the combination of these two geniuses plus all the other people involved in making this film is just incredible. I never would have really connected them in my mind for whatever reason, but it's such an obvious connection once you see it. David Byrne is kind of like this spiritual guide that we all need so badly. And then Spike Lee is this activist and historian that keeps us honest and keeps us angry, but also keeps us, you know, hopeful. And together they took this concert, which I'm told is incredible live and made it feel so personal and so present, even though I was watching it in my home, you know, in a not Broadway environment. So highly recommend it. Also, the music is absolutely incredible. You will have it in your head. You will put it on Spotify or wherever you listen to your music. I think you'll love it. You can let us know once you've watched it and tell us that you love it too. And that was my minute.
0: All right. Welcome back to Film Forward, everybody. We are here with Shannon Riggs, producer, and Clay Tweel, director. Their new project, Heaven's Gate, The Cult of Cults, is available on HBO Max. Right now, Clay is going to give us three recommendations, films that have inspired him, inspired his work. So, Clay, let us get your first one, sir.
3: Sure. These are three films that have inspired this specific series. Mm-hmm. Um so, I narrowed it a little bit. My first film is Jesus Camp, which is a documentary by Heidi Ewing and Rachel Grady that follows a lot of the evangelical movement of the mid two thousands.
0: Yeah, I remember seeing this when it came out, and it it was a tough watch, really tough watch, (laughs) because (laughs) it's kids. You see these kids are just you see the emotional impact that's it's taken on them and. Yeah, it was tough. Tough to watch, but excellent, excellent documentary.
3: It's so good. It's so good. And for the things that we were talking about and thinking about for our Heaven's Gate show, it was, you know, a lot of this idea around like belief versus indoctrination. Right, And, you know, when you're seeing that play out in kids, it's a little more tangible and you can throw a little bit more blame on the on the adults mm-hmm. because the kids don't know any better. When you're an adult and you can make your own decisions, it becomes a bit more of a gray area, as Shannon and I were discussing before. Yeah.
0: It's a powerful film. Uh, it, it's one I've actually had on my list to rewatch lately, just as a kind of study on how we're at, where we're at right now in, the, in this world and in this country. I haven't had the guts to do it yet, <laughs> but it, but it, if you have, if you haven't seen it, you ab- you absolutely should, and perhaps check it out after you watch Heaven's Gate because I think it's a- an excellent excellent pairing. So Clay, let's get your second one now.
3: My second one is Arrow Morris's tabloid. I. Really enjoyed that movie when it came out. I think it was in 2011. I'm a big fan of Errol Morris in general. I like the way that he's able to blend some of the quirky character traits of the people that he's profiling mixed with some fairly like existential topics that they're talking about. And so, you know, Tabloid is this wacky story. But this woman is very lonely and sad at the heart of it. And so the pivots and tone, I thought, were, were really well done. And I, and I loved the music for it. We even used it for temp score a little bit when we were putting Heaven's Gate together. This is one I, I
0: haven't seen, actually. What's what's it about? Is it a documentary or is it a narrative? It's a documentary. It's
3: about this woman who was a star of the tabloids back in the 70s mm. because she was accused of kidnapping her Mormon missionary husband or who someone who she claims was her husband and she became this big pariah in the press in the uk and then she had this sort of celebrity back in the states and she was dining out on that a little bit um but it's just sort of like the story behind the story of of these tabloid headlines that
0: sounds fascinating i'm gonna have to check that out tabloid yeah, that's right okay it's it's going on my my cue list i'll put it above jesus camp to delay that further.
3: <laughs> it's a little bit more lighter fare, for Good. sure. <laughs> okay, Clay, the third and final, sir. The last one is Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, which is, you know, a uh, analogous to the creation of the Church of Scientology. And for me, in watching it, just like the themes of free will mm-hmm. are present throughout and the dynamic between Philip Seymour Hoffman's character in Joaquin Phoenix is so fascinating and I in some small part was like picking up on some of those dynamics from some of the former members and doe being able to have this fictional movie that I really enjoyed in the first place and then seeing some of those ideas crop up in, in real life was was um, pretty wild
0: yeah that I mean that movie is a masterpiece I think it's one of my favorite movies in the last 20 years probably that initial processing scene between hmm. yeah. joaquin and philip seymour hoffman is just so hypnotic <laughs> and, and incredible
3: <laughs> what do you because it's it's divisive like what do you think happens at the end with freddie quill
0: the funny thing is i've seen that movie about four times and every time i watch it i i have a different perspective of what happens at the end or i have a different perspective on the characters in general like and i think that's the mark of a great movie is each time I watch it, either I change or the the movie's just got so much life and truth into it that the characters like, you know, evolve with different viewings. It's it's a trip. It's yeah, very admirable. I would say it's like yeah. a, a master class in performance and direction, but I don't even know if you can learn. You just have to just like watch and admire and be like, well,
3: <laughs> that's the people who are the best at that. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I remember seeing an interview with Paul Thomas Anderson afterwards and he was like, I feel like I I finally get what filmmaking is. He said something like, I feel like I know what I'm doing now. And I'm like, oh, man, if he feels like he's just now understanding what he's doing, I can't wait to watch this movie. Right. Right. Yeah. It's so good. The Master.
0: These are three excellent choices, Clay. And I think three choices that will go great with Heaven's Gate. The Cult of Colts, it is streaming now on HBO Max. I implore all of you at home to check it out, watch it, and please let us know what you think in our comment section and on our Instagram page. Share your thoughts, we, we love to hear them. Shannon, thank you for being here again. Clay, thank you for joining us for the first time. It was an honor to talk to you both. And again, congrats on just a great series. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for listening to Film Forward and we will catch you next time. Our recording engineer and mixer is Anselm Kennedy. The podcast is produced by Anselm, Sonia Maru, and yours truly. Thanks for joining us on Film Forward,
3: and you'll hear us next time.